0: Uh, okay, so the Gemara was basically it was in the middle of talking about the story of how Rebbe Kiva was notifying us who the Makoshish was. He was Tzlachat. So the Gemara said, what do you mean? How is Rebbe Kiva allowed to notify us who Tzlachat was? The Torah itself didn't tell us who the person who was cutting the wood or gathering the wood or um, or, um, or carrying the wood. The Torah didn't tell us who it was. It just called him the Makoshish anonymous. Who's Rebekiva to notify us? So the Gemara says, what do you mean? Rebbe Kiva had Ixayi shava, right? He had Ixayi shava because the word in one place said, called it the man in the desert. And the other place, it said the Mekoshesh, our father died in the desert, right? So the Gemara says, well, he learned Xeroshava. What do you want to do? So the other Ramanda what did he think? Xeroshava le Gemara. He did not have Xeroshava. So therefore he was asking our Kiva, if I don't have Xeroshava, then who are you to, to reveal to the world this idea? So he says, how did he, how did he have it then? So he says, it was from the fact that it says, Right? So, so one second. So it says like this. Okay. The the same idea now we're gonna have by a different a different idea, right? A different a different topic where we're gonna have the same the same uh, type of idea where Bakiva is revealing something that the Torah didn't reveal. So what's the idea? That Hashem's anger uh, was Hashem was angry bum in them. And they went. This is talking about the story of when Aaron and Miriam are talking about Meish right? And Miriam Miriam gets stricken with Taras. But it says in the Torah, it says that that the anger of Hashem flared up about them. It didn't say about just Miriam. We see from here that even Aaron became a Metzairah. It was not just Miriam became a Metzairah, even Aaron became a Metzairah. These are the words of Rabbi Kiva. So same topic now happens. I'm going to lay Rebbe Yehuda Ben-Baseyrah. Rebbe Yehuda Ben-Baseyrah says to Bekiva, Akiva, Beinkach, Benkach, Ata Asaditin Asadin. Either way, you're going to have to give judgment. Let, let, let me go. Can you guys all hear that kid outside my door? Is that disturbing?
1: I can hear it. But don't be okay, fine. Then I'm not going to oh, get Yeah, it's all right.
0: Okay. So he says to Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, what's going on over here? Either way, you're going to have to give judgment for that which you are revealing to us that, that, um, that Hashem is angry with, with Aaron too. Why? The reason is because if it is exactly like you say that Hashem was angry at Aaron too, well, guess what? The Torah did not reveal that to us explicitly. The Torah just said that Hashem was angry. It never told us that Aaron actually got saras, It only told us that Miriam had saras. And then you came to reveal it. And if you're indeed wrong, they did not get to rest, then you are saying, uh, you're, you're saying evil, false rumors about, about, um, about Aaron. So he says, oh, one second, and Akiva says it's not so simple because if you look at the Pasuk, it says that Hashem was angry bum, in them. Implication is Hashem was angry at two of them, not just at Miriam, but also at Aaron. I hope in Ba'alma. Gamar says, no, not so simple, because maybe Hashem was only angry, but not with not didn't actually punish them with Saras, but when his anger led to the fact that he was just angry by both of them. But it doesn't necessarily mean that he actually caused them to have Saras. So Kiva thought the fact that it says Hashem Bum, that Hashem was angry in them, implication is that Hashem's anger went from not to not just to give Saras to Miriam, but also to give Saras to to Aaron. But the, the counter argument would be that perhaps Hashem's anger only led to only led to anger, but not to actual action on, on Aaron and only on Miriam. Tanya learned in Like the one who says that even Aaron got saras. It says that Aaron Miriam. That Aaron turned to Miriam. The and behold, she was a mitzvah, raas. She had developed leprosy. Tanya she pana the way to explain this Pasik based on drasha is that mitzarasai, that he turned from his Tsaras and saw that Miriam was also in a state of Taras. So that would also imply, like Rabbi Kiva said, that indeed Aaron also was stricken with Tsaras for listening to the words of Miriam, right? As we know, as we know that, you know, when it comes to Lashon Hara, it's not just the person who says Lashon Hara that is a violation of the law, but it's also people who listen to Lashon Hara. And the Chavetz Chaim says, Perhaps the person who listens is even worse than the person who tells because without the person listening, the person who tells will never tell. Okay. So, Amrish Lakash. ha loike If someone is bikshayram, this is the famous idea of which means someone who falsely suspects, someone who indeed is kasher, who's never done anything wrong, loike will be punished in their body. it says, So now it's a, I think it's important to know, whenever these Gemaras come and they say these, uh, um, we're going to go through these stories, but what we're basically doing is we're going through some of the misdeeds of like the holiest people who ever walked the face of the earth. So I, I have, a. From my, my teachers always taught me that you cannot try to relate to this as if it's talking about you and I, right? We're gonna, now we're going to be calling out Moshe for a certain lack of a uh, certain, not reaching a level that he could have reached. Right? It's important to recognize, don't, whenever you hear a story, right, human nature, you use your imagination, you kind of put yourself in that, in that place, right? You kind of picture it happening to you, right? To some extent, now, am I right? Is it just me? Or just my imagination. Not Wayne, you don't
1: have that yeah.
0: <laughs> So, So the point is, like, we kind of almost, like, identify with Moshe to this extent. And we think, oh, yeah, Moshe, yeah, whatever. If I was there, I probably would have been about the same thing. So the way I was taught from my, my teachers is you, you can never think that way about, about these holy people. That being said, the Gemara right now is going to be calling out Moshe and, and criticizing his behavior. So Moshe Rabbeinu tells Hashem by this net, nah, right? It's a, a very long conversation. It's a whole week where Hashem is trying to convince Moshe Rabbeinu that he should go down to Egypt and uh, you know advocate for his people. And Moshe Rabbeinu is not interested. He says they're not going to believe me, not going to trust in me. So then Hashem then told them that they are going to be believed. They will believe. Right? This is the famous, the famous idea that we are Maminim, the sons of Maminim. We are believers, children of believers. Where does it come from? It comes from you know, this idea. What does Hashem say? And you, in the end, you're not going to believe. What are we trying to say over here? That someone is suspicious of someone else the flaw that they themselves have, they then, they uh, project it on others. So Moshe Rabbeinu had a little bit of a flaw in his emunah. It's a very small flaw, right? So Moshe Rabbeinu was on an incredibly high level, right? The only person who's ever described this in an Ebed Hashem is Moshe Rabbeinu. The Torah is called Torah's Moshe, right? We, we did that a couple of a ago, right? So Moshe Rabbeinu is on an incredibly high level. He clearly had emunah like we can never imagine. He saw Hashem Face to face, almost, right? Whatever that means, right? He spoke to Hashem, as the Rambam tells us, with a very small blockage in between, and not not all the other uh, Nevi'im that had these large mirrors in between, right? Whatever this type of language means. So, however, Moshe Rabbeinu was clearly suffering to some extent in Amunah at that stage in time. If he would not have been suffering in Amunah, he never would have projected that the Jewish people would not believe him. It was only because he had this small lack of Amuna. So Hashem says, "You have a lack of Amuna, You know what's going to happen in the end? In the end, you're going to have a lack of Amuna in a in a big way." And B'nai that's, Yisrael, that's the
1: Yisrael—that's the situation with the rock. And the, he struck the rock. Is
0: that- so I'm not I'm not even sure yet. But let's see if Rashi says anything. Rashi does not say anything about that. Uh, but I'm, I'm guessing that you're right. Let's see if the Gemara says it.
1: Well, that's dafka. What Hashem is the reason that Hashem gives? He didn't believe me about the rock, so you're not going to, into Israel. Um,
0: specifically, that's the
1: reason. Well, it, it
0: doesn't really. It, it says that you didn't cause my name to be made great, right? <laughs> right. What, what's the exact classic? by by the when Hashem tells him that you're not going to be able to go over? because you, know, you hit the rock. I don't think he says because you you did you cause i don't think he says you didn't believe in me, I think he says you didn't make my name great in front of the Jewish people, which definitely could be what it is, but it doesn't have to be what it is there's the, I think the Arachayim brings down ten different reasons why Moshe Rabbeinu gets punished for hitting the rock right so so there's okay. many different opinions it's not it's not so clear cut but yeah we've
1: got a long way to go, go ahead.
0: okay so um they are believers. As it says, I'm sorry, that the people will believe They are the sons of believers. that they believed in Hashem." This is in Bereshis, right? right? That, that, um, that, I guess that's referring to Abram, right? So you will end up not believing why? yan as it says, and this is happening in Bamidbar, and it says, Oh, you're right. Girl, very good. So that's the Pasuk Taka by the rock. That Hashem says, Yan you do not believe in me, Lahakti to make me holy, to sanctify me the in the eyes of Therefore I will not bring you you will not bring them into the land that the land that I will give to them. Right? So it does say and this Gemara clearly is taking a position as you're saying. This Gemara is clearly taking the position that the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu gets punished by not going into Eretz Yisrael is because he did not believe in Hashem. And how do we know that he gets punished? So how do we know that someone who is someone who doesn't believe people, doesn't believe people who indeed are really kasher, that they will get punished in their body? Because when Moshe Rabbeinu takes his hand out from his his, uh, when he's talking to, him, to Hashem, and he says, they're not going to believe in me, he takes his hand out, all of a sudden, he has to rest. Rava. Rava says, when it comes to something that's a good midah and something that's a bad midah, in other words, when Hashem is punishing, he punishes, it takes him longer to punish than it does for him to reward. Like when it comes to punishments, we've done other gemaras and brachas that says that Hashem waits and gives us extra time to repent. He doesn't repay us. He doesn't, he doesn't punish us right away. But when it comes to reward, then He gives us the reward right away. Because when it comes to the Mida, the characteristic of paranas, what does it say? By yetziya, v'hine yadei so it says that when we took his hand out from inside his um, his chest, where he was holding it like Napoleon for a portrait, immediately when he took it out afterwards, then it got turned white with the tzeras. And when it comes to the, the good deed, then it says, He takes it out from his chest afterwards, right? And the, it says that he took it out from his chest. We know it was in his chest. So why does it say he took it out from his chest? To tell us that it already turned back into the regular buser, into the regular flesh, when it was already still inside his chest. So is continuing in this same vein, talking about this story and giving us a gadita. Gemara says that, the, it says that the staff of Aaron swallowed their staffs, right? So Aaron does the, the trick. They come in front of power for the very first time and they have the staff. And they throw the staff down and turns into a snake. The Khartoum say, Oh, our sticks also turn into snakes. So it tells us that Aaron's snake swallowed their snakes. Snakes. Now it says that Aaron's stake, right? Mat his stick or stake, whatever the you know, the, the cane that they were using, that the staff is what swallows the other staffs. I'm patech So it says to have a stick swallow a stick is a double nace. To have a stick that turns into a snake, that's one nace. To have it that the stick swallows the other snakes, but not when it's a stick. Not when it's a snake. When it's a stick, that's a double nace. Now we go back to regularly scheduled programming. Our Mishnah says that if you throw it from the private domain to the private domain, and the public domain is in between, then you're going to be liable, right? So the question is like this. By asara It's and right? Rebekiva said that if you throw it from the private domain to the public domain, a private domain to private domain, with the public domain in between, you're going to be liable. One second. I think it's a machlikas. Is it not our Mishnah? Yeah, it's our Mishnah. right? So the Mishnah tells us like this. If you throw something from the public, the private domain to private domain, with the public domain in between, Abikiva says you're going to be liable, the Kham says you're going to be pater. So Rabbis coming to analyze that machlikas. Boy they're arguing about where you threw it less than 10 fachim off the ground, and this is their machlekes. And one of them held that the kutah, that something which is in the ear space is considered as if it's on the ground, right? So this is something that we learned in the first paragraph. that Rabbi Kiva was of the opinion that when you have something within 10 fachim of the ground, then it becomes as if it's actually attached to the ground, okay? Now, if you hold that, even though it's being thrown and it's in mid-ear right now. So it never landed in the public domain. What have we been saying the whole time? If you want to be liable for carrying on Shabbos from one domain to another, the transference has to happen in a very specific pattern. It has to have an Akira in one domain, a Hanacha in another domain. Now, where was there a Hanacha in another domain? You threw it from the private domain to a private domain. The Hanacha was in a private domain. The Akira was in a private domain. Where did you ever put it down in the public domain? So the reason why you put it down in the public domain is because it's a Kiva's position that says that something that's with intent facham of the ground is considered as if it's actually on the ground. And the Chachamim will say, no, you're not gonna be liable. It's because they say, there's no such thing as kutuk mishancha. that just because something is with intent facham on the ground is considered like it's attached to the ground, who said? However, if you threw it higher than intent facham off the ground, everybody would agree that you would be exempt. Well, if that's true, that everybody agrees that you're exempt, it must be that you hold, you cannot derive the laws of throwing from the laws of passing, right? In other words, we said earlier that the levium would pass the crushum, the planks, excuse me, from one wagon to the next, and they would pass it higher than 10 tfachim off the ground, and still they would be liable for doing that, right? So that's why we hold that when it comes to passing something from one person to another, if it's 10 off the ground, you're liable. So if you say, that throwing something more than 10 pachim off the ground is not, not going to be liable when it goes from private domain to private domain over the public domain. That's because you hold, that you cannot learn out the laws of throwing from the laws of passing. And let me just explain that one more time. The, the way that the wagons worked is you had a wagon that was con- considered to be Rosh Hashim You had another wagon in front of it that's considered to be Rosh You have one person passing it from one wagon to the wagon in front of it. And in between the two wagons was public domain. Okay, but it was higher than 10 pachim off the ground. That was the, the action that was done in the Mishkan when they were talking about passing from one wagon to the next. So that's what teaches us that when it comes to passing something in the public domain, you're gonna be liable even if it's higher than 10th fachim off the ground. The question is, can we derive the laws of throwing from the laws of passing? Yeah, it makes sense,
1: Earl? Wayne? Passing and throwing is two different things, right? Passing, two people hold on to the same thing at the same time, right? Throwing, one lets go and, and that, so hundred yeah.
0: percent, right. No, so the question yeah. really is, question really is, we know that there was an action called passing, but maybe there's enough of a difference in the, in the way in which this action is undertaken that perhaps maybe you can't learn out one from the other, right? And when, whenever you try to learn out something from something else, there always has to be some level of similarity, right? And is it similar enough or is it not similar enough? And that's really the question right now. So what the Gemara suggests is, you hold that when you throw I have
1: a, it. I have a question. If you've got balconies that are Certain distance apart. I thought a Rosh Hashanah had to be able to hold sixty thousand people. How could you have a Rosh robbin you know, a, s- a street wouldn't qualify for that. It's the street in between the balcony, right? Right. But that is it big enough to hold sixty thousand people?
0: Oh, oh, I hear you. So yeah, when you talk about that, it, it's it's six hundred thousand according to that opinion. But what's I'll important to, to recognize. Right. So, so let me ask you something. So yeah, then you'll
1: to be able to throw something across a space that big.
0: Right. So, so you, I, I, think it's an interesting point you're bringing up. But basically, what you're suggesting is you're never going to be liable for carrying in the public domain unless you actually carry it over the entire expanse that would be necessary to hold six hundred thousand people. Correct.
1: Well, no. So I'm trying to figure out what a, a public domain
0: is, holistically. Right. So it, it, it's a complicated topic, but just very, very quickly. I'll give one of the opinions because there's many different opinions amongst the Rishonim. One of the opinions is that when we talk about 600,000, the necessity of having 600,000, what that means is that anywhere on this road and at least one day a year, there's 600,000 people traveling.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So for example, in theory, El Camino Real might meet that standard. El Camino Real goes from past San Jose, right? All the way up to San Francisco. Yeah, right? It's possible that one day a year, they might have 600,000 people traveling on that road. Mm-hmm. I, I do not say it's likely, but it's definitely words, possible.
1: So, somewhere on that road. It doesn't have to be where you are.
0: Yeah, no, because uh, just to speak out your point, we said earlier, if you carry four Amis in the public domain, you're going to be liable. Well, four Amis is not enough to hold 600,000 people in that four Amis space, right? So what we mean is to carry on the road that is the type of road that has the ability to carry 600,000 people, right? Okay. okay. So... The question is, do we derive throwing from carrying, from, from passing or not? And right now what we're suggesting is, if you throw it higher than 10, you you're putter. Why? Because we don't derive throwing from passing. Or do we say it? The machlekes is when it's higher than 10 off the ground. And this is the machlekes. One of them says that you could derive throwing from passing. And the other one says, you can't derive throwing from passing. So that's exactly what the dispute is. Do we say it's similar enough or not? Right? But if it's less than 10 sachem off the ground, he throws something from the private domain to the private domain, passing over the public domain. Everybody agrees that you're liable. My time of why? Because when something is caught in the in the air, right? It's as if it's attached to the ground, and everybody agrees to that. So you hear the two different opinions that Rabbah is suggesting. Rabbah is saying a fam- like a hakira, right? He's saying I know that there's machlekes in the chavim. What exactly is the kernel upon which the machlokas turns? Is it the machlokas? Do we say kluta huncha or not? Or is it the machlokas? Do we derive? Um, I'm sorry. Is it that higher than tenth tefachim, everybody? the Higher than tenth tefachim is the machlokas. Do we say we derive throwing from passing? and lower than tenth fachim, everybody agrees klutakimisha huncha, and everybody agrees you'd be liable? Or do we say the machlokas is only? Less than ten tefachim off the ground, and the machlekes says, do we say kutek Huncha or not? And when you get to higher than ten tefachim, everybody agrees you do not derive throwing from passing. Right? There's two different possible machlekesin, and their assumption is they're not arguing about both; we are only arguing about one of these two. Okay. Amar how milsi the This question was asked to have Obshita, Rav, <laughs> Rav actually answered this question from here. Atzma. <laughs> It says that it it says in a that if you throw something from one rishus to another rishus and it passed over the rishus rabim atzma, right? What does it mean rishus rabim atzma, right? The the public domain itself, right? The, the word atzma is coming to teach something more; it's adding something. Rakeiva says you're liable. From the fact that it says the actual the the itself, it's obvious that the was in a case where it was less than ten fachim off the ground. Because right? if it was higher than ten Fachim off the ground, you wouldn't call it, it just a Rosh atzma. Okay, Just to speak out why that is, because generally speaking, we assume that the public domain is only considered public domain up to the airspace of 10th Fachim. Once you get higher than 10th Fachim, it's not considered public domain. And 10th Fachim okay. is how high? About 40 inches. Yeah. There should be something that's bothering you right now. If above 10th yeah, Fachim that's is that's not considered...
1: A- if, your balcony, if your balcony is across the... Rushes are on the second story, and you just toss from one to the other, that's much more than 10th talking, so
0: you should be good. Right, no, so that's a good point. So the question is then, do we say Kutu or not? Okay, if we say Kutu Kemishahuncha, we might say it even higher than that, right? Now, But I think what should be bothering you is something else. How about when you pass something? When you pass something, you're passing it higher than 10th falchum, why is that okay? Why is that a problem? Right? If we're saying that it's just a rabbit only goes till 10 stachem off the ground, then why is it that when you pass something, we look at that as passing it from the, into the public domain? How are you passing that in the public domain? It's higher than 10 stachem off the ground. So, so I think the answer is that um, if, if you're actually standing, right? Let's say, let's say you walk in the public domain and you just hold your hand 40 inches. Wow, that's pretty scary looking. And you hold your hand 40 inches above the ground, right? Great, I, By the item that I'm holding is more than 40 inches off the ground. I'm not carrying the public domain. So obviously that's absurd, because it's really, your body is attached to the ground. This is what we learned at the beginning of Shabbos, that we go after, if, if your feet are touching the ground, your hand is considered to be an attachment of your body that is, that is looked at as being nis-yachas, as being uh, connected to the ground.
1: You have, have to be floating. What was that? You would have to be floating.
0: Exactly, you'd have to be floating. Yeah, you'd have to be levitating. Um, Okay, fine. So, so that was the question, and we're trying to bring a proof to, the, to, to what exactly which side it is. So Chizda tried to bring a proof from this price. This price says that if you throw from the private domain to the private domain, going over the public domain, the halacha is, uh, it's machleka and lachachama. Chama uh, peitur. So the Gemara says, perhaps, the fact that it says in the Roshosar Rabbim Atzma, that is an indication that we're referring to less than 10 pacham off the ground. What's the argument? If we're talking about where you, ca- where you actually carried it, is that true that if you're walking from the private domain to the private domain, and you're walking through a public domain, is that true that you're only going to be liable if the item is less than 10th lachm off the ground? Who said that's ridiculous? says, if you carry something higher than ten lachm off the ground, of course you're liable. That is the way that the kahas people were carrying things higher than ten lachm off the ground. El Allah Bezeirik, after you have to say that we're talking about where you threw the item. You see from here that less than 10 falcham off the ground, you're liable. Higher than 10 falcham off the ground, you are not liable. So we see from here that the Machlakis, Reb Akiva, and the Chachamim, according to this Brysa, is talking about a case where it was less than 10 falcham off the ground. And if Akiva only held your Chayah because of Kutu Kimishan, but if it was more than 10 falcham off the ground, you would have said you're Potter. So now to go back to our case of a balcony, according to this reasoning, you would have to say that the balcony is less than 10 vacham off the ground, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't work. the And this is the with the Rebbe Lazar. Rebbe Lazar does not understand the Mechelikas in the same way. Rebbe Lazar's opinion is that Rebbe Kiva would be Mechelikas even if it's higher than 10 vacham off the ground. So why does that rise to say we're coming out with the Rebbe Lazar itself? It's coming to tell us the strength of the opinion of the Chachamim that they argued, even in the case of where it's less than 10 fachim, the Chachamim argued both where it's less than 10 fachim, and you threw it, and where it's higher than 10 fachim, and you threw it. Both cases, you're exempt. So Kibbutz says both cases, you're liable. I'm sorry, Kibbutz only says you're liable when it's, when it is, Kibbutz say, yeah, says you're liable in both cases, the Chachamim say you're exempt in both cases. Okay. Sure. Um, yeah? Upliga rev. Upliga If you threw the item and it was less than three tefachim off the ground, everybody would agree you're going to be liable. If it's higher than ten to off the ground, everybody would agree you're going to be putter. But when it's from three to, to ten, that's where the and come into play. Like this as well. If it's less than three off the ground, everybody agrees you're going to be liable. If it's higher than ten off the ground, everybody agrees that it is only a rabbinic uh, decree that you shouldn't do this. I'm sorry, and if it is his own domains, if it's his own private domain to his own private domain, then it would be completely permitted if it was higher than ten. Tfachim. To throw it higher than ten from your own private domain to your own private domain over the public domain, that already is going to be mutter.
1: from a a private domain to a private domain did you say Uh, your own your own that you own both of them so you can throw from one balcony to the next if you're on a three level house
0: yes yes in other words because right now in this opinion what we're saying is the reason why it's forbidden to throw something when it's higher than 10 fachim over the public domain is not on a Torah level it's on a rabbinic level what's the concern the concern is that I might fall down. You might not have such a good arm and you might miss the balcony and I'll fall down to public domain. You might come to carry it. So they weren't as concerned in the case of you're throwing from your own domain to your own domain. From three until ten, Rekiva says you're liable. You are exempt. If it is your own domains, then it is going to be mutar. Then it's going to be permitted to, to do it. This should be a, uh, a slug up, a, um, a disproving of Rav. The itmar, why? This, what does it do with Rav? Let's see what Rav has to say. The Itmar. And they have two houses on two opposite sides of Rishis Rav. You are forbidden to throw it from one to the other. And Shmuel says, you're permitted to throw it from one to the other. And to be not explained that what's happening over here is that one of them is higher up and one of them is lower down. enough of And perhaps it might fall down on the ground when you're throwing it from one to the other, and then you might come to carry it. So this, if this would be true, then this would be true even in a case where um, Rav's, if Rav said that it's usher because of this concern, it should be usher even if you do, even if it does belong to you. So this, this proves the opinion of Rav because it, it would not be usher if they both belong. It wouldn't change anything if they both belong to you unless you don't hold that like graph. Right, it's a very, very yesidistic gemara right here, right? So we know this principle of lavud, right? Everybody knows it normally from sukkah, right? We know that in a sukkah, there's the concept of lavud, which means that a gap, which is less than three tfachim wide, or three tfachem, and a gap that's less than three tfachim, we look at that gap as if it's not there, as if there's no gap at all. The gemara is now going to get into like the kishkas of it to figure out when we say it's not there, what exactly does that mean? Do you mean to say that we look at the space as if it's missing? Do we mean to say we don't care about that kind of space? Does it thing get extended? Right? So the Gemara is going to get into that topic right here. So the Gemara says like this If it's less than three fucking off the ground, we consider it as if it's attached to the ground. Everybody agrees. Why? Because I love it. So the Gemara's first answer is. That the reason why I love it, the reason why it's something that's within three tahum of Rishisarab is considered to be in the right? And even though it's not touching Risharabam, but everybody agrees it's considered like it's touching Rishasarabam. Why? Because interesting idea. The Rishus is it's impossible to look at Bimulak at Bimalakit is not plain perfectly. They didn't have the what do they call them? The the big rollers like the the asphalt rollers with the big the big wheels, right? I don't know what they're called. So they didn't have those in those days. So the resistance was not playing perfectly. It wasn't perfectly level. And therefore, you had it would go up, it would go down, it would go up, it would go down. So if you started saying, listen, if it's three up to three tfuchum off, is also considered like it's off of the ground, it would be very odd because you would be throwing something, right? And there'd be areas in which it's three twachum above, areas in which is not three twachum above, areas in which you might even hit it. It's just not so level. So instead, we said anything within three is considered as if it's really still part of the Risha Sarab. So the Gemara says, if that would be so, then why specifically up to three? It should be even more than three or even at three. In other words, the Gemara is probably working with understanding the context that in those days, the potholes were a lot worse than potholes on the Bronx River, you know, on the cross, uh, what are they called? The cross Bronx, right? The, wor- the worst potholes I've ever seen are on the cross Bronx. Don't never take that highway. So, but it, it seems like the assumption was that they knew that the amount of distance that the, the variation in the level was, was even three t'fachim. So that wouldn't be, that can't be the reason. Pesu, another, another reason why this can't be the, another uh, proof that this isn't the real reason. now, that which we learned in the Mishnah. if someone is making the walls of their sukkah and they start doing it from the top to the bottom, if they finish making the walls of the sukkah and the, the bottom of the sukkah wall is more than three off the ground, guess what? Sula is going to be a pasal of sukkah. That means that if the walls of the sukkah were up to were less than three off the ground, then indeed they would be kasher. Right? So the Gemara says, in other words, what's the Gemara's question? The Gemara's question is, what does it have to do with, over there, the concept of lovehood, Right? Has Lovud tell me anything? In Roshul Rabbim, you came up with this, Great idea that maybe it has to do with the fact that the domains of a and Rabbim are not so clearly plain and therefore up till three Tfachim is considered like a still attached. What does it have to do with the walls of a Sukkah that up to three Tfachim from the ground they're going to be considered like a still attached? Where does that how is this related to the topic at all? So the Gemara says, The only reason why over there it's going to be a problem to have a Sukkah that there's a three Tfach opening on the bottom of the Sukkah wall is because. If there's a three tefakh opening on the bottom of the sukkah wall, the Gideon, the, the Gideon are baby goats. They would be able to crawl underneath that wall, and it would not be such a sustainable wall. And therefore, up till three tefakhim is going to be a concern that the, the, the goats will come in. But if it's more than three tefakhim, if it's less than three tefakhim off the ground, the goats won't come in. So over there, it's not about lovehood because of this, the, the way in which the ground is planed. It's rather about lovehood because then the, the goats will not come in. That works why the sukkah cannot have more than three tzachem from the bottom of the sukkah wall to the ground. What about from the top of the sukkah wall to the ceiling? Right? Why over there do we have the same halacha that you can't go more than three tzachem away? Right? But up, till, up until three tzachem is good. But well, why is that good? Why do we consider that to be a closed gap? If the idea has to do with the fact that in the public domain, the ground is very unlevel, how is that at all related to the top of a sukkah? And the top of a sukkah is not about the goats coming in because the goats are not coming in from the top of the sukkah. So how is that related to your concept of love? To your reasoning behind love? Ela um, Rather, the fact that anything that is less than three tzachim away from another space is considered as if their gap is, is totally closed up, that is called hilchasa gemirila et Right? It's halacha that Moshe Rabbeinu told us explicitly, and therefore it, we don't have to have any reason for it. It is what it is. Moshe Rabbeinu basically told us that if it's less than three tzachim, which is about you know, somewhere between um, uh, 12 inches, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, then we basically look at that as if it's completely insignificant. Okay. we okay. learned You're throwing something from the public domain to the public domain. And the private domain is in the middle. Rebbe says you're liable, and the Khamam say you're exempt. Rabashmul, the Rav Shmuel both say that Rebbe said you're not Chayev, They held that Rebbe's opinion is that you're only going to be liable when there is a, a private domain that is covered, walled, that is a uh, roofed up. Based on the, right? So this is something we also did in the beginning of, of Shabbos, that the opinion is like this, that when you have a, a house that has roof and walls, throwing something through the house, then everybody agrees that the, the stagnant ear in the house will make it as if it's actually on the ground, right? Even if generally speaking, you don't say when it's in an open ear space, but when it's in a closed-in space, then the, we say essentially, that we look at it as if it's on the ground, right? Um, so, the re- we don't say kutuk mishoncha, the way that they say it is the house is as if it's filled up. So what that means is that since the house is as if it's filled up, even though the, the item is flying through the airspace, if we look at the house as if it's filled up, then the item is actually resting on, that, on, the, on the other item, other vessels in the house, even though the house is as if it's filled up, even though it's not, right? Aval but if it's not a roofed-in house, and we don't say this idea. Amar Chana, Amar they, they say interesting things. They say Rebbe would, be, would obligate you to bring two If You throw it from the public domain to the public domain, and the, the private domain is in between, right? So you throw it from, from uh, you're standing in the public domain, you throw a football straight through a house, and it comes out the other side of the house and lands in the public domain. Rebbe would say you're liable to bring two carbonas. Why? one for bringing it into the house, one for taking it out of the house. Now, hey, one second. Where's that Akira and the anacha? What do we always say about carrying a Shabbos? We said there has to be an Akira in one domain, a transfer of Roshua to the other domain, and then anacha in the other domain, right? Now, how do you have both that happening over here? You're in a house, right? Where do you have the Akira and the Hanacha? Well, the answer is if the house is as if it's filled up with vessels. So it's fascinating. You're throwing that football through the house. You look at it as if as soon as it gets into the house, Boom! It landed. You know what? <laughs> it actually kept on moving, though. Because you know it kept on moving. So that was another hanach. That was a, the akira. It was actually a second akira. There was a hanach akira in the public domain, a hanacha in the private domain, and akira in the private domain, a hanacha in the public domain. Fascinating idea. Um. Yossi Bredchana, because sat and there was, there was something bothering him about the statement. Why? That was a long a long, a long Ahmed, by the way. We have not had such a long Ahmed that was not a that related in a long time. So, mm-hmm. so lememr, the mecha'ev rebbi, a toldah, maknam av, so the Gemara asks like this. If Rebbe indeed holds that you're going to be liable for the hachnasa, the, the uh, sorry, the haitzah, the carrying out and the, the carrying in, then that means he holds that you could be liable to bring a carbon for a tolda, the descendant malacha, at the same time that you're bringing a carbon for the av malacha. What does this mean? right? The Av malacha is when you take from the private domain to the public domain. And the tolda Melacha is when you take from the public domain to the private domain. So over here, you took from the public domain into the private domain, and then from the private domain back into the public domain. So that's the tolda of the Av. And Rebbe says you're liable to bring two, according to this reasoning, according to this Amaira. But Tanya, we learned it in our Baisa. So now we're coming up with one, one of the other sources why we know that there are 39 Avas malachas. What does it say? It says, Dvarim HaDvarim had HaDvarim. Elu Malachas. Altogether, this is 39 Malachas, Sinai. That Mesh Rabbeinu was actually taught the 39 Malachas at Sinai what they were. And there's a hint to the 39 Malachas in the Torah because it says "Ela." it says Dvarim um, hadvarim So what does this mean? Rashi says. Rashi explains what this means. He says that um Ayla plus plusin Right? So "Ela" is 36, right? Aleph, Lamed, Hay, right? That's 36. Aleph is one. Lamed is 30. Hay is five. That's 36 total. It says Dvarim, Dvarim, Hadvarim. So three matters plus Ela, that's 39 altogether. Now, to, to be clear, if, if Murad was making up this Gematria, we wouldn't take it that seriously, right? So <laughs> there, I guess it's probably not nice to say that while Murad's not on right now. But, but the, the difference is like this. The difference is that gematriyas are significant because it's really about a hint. right? This really is about Shabal right? The fact that we know the 39 Malachas, we know that based on tradition. We're just looking for different hints to the idea in the Torah. So when you're looking for that kind of hint, then, then you can use a gematria. You wouldn't be able to say this in the first place, that this would be the source, how we know that 39 Malachas, that we wouldn't do. Okay. Amar le'i mar Aha, masnila akasha le'i derebi so Raviyaso says the one person learned it on on this, and therefore he had a, a problem with one Rebbe's position against Rebbe's position, astira. And now, at the Rebbe Yehuda we had this stated in the name of Rebbe Yehuda, and therefore we did not have a problem. Therefore, it's not strange. The Tanya. What's going to be the question? Because there's a brysa. The advice tells us like this: Someone's carrying from the private domain to the public domain. And the item is being carried for Amos in the public domain. He says you're liable. He says that Rabbi, he says Rabbi Yehuda would say that you're going to be liable to two: one for Haitzah and one. For, um, one for actually carrying it to the public domain and one for the carrying for Abbas in the public domain, right? Now, this is the opinion of Rebbe Yehuda, not the opinion of Rebbe. The E, Sakadaita Chada if you would say that there's only one that you'd be liable for, Rabban and the. If when Rebbe came to say you're liable, what? when Rebbe says you're liable, the implication is that somebody was arguing. Well, what was the Chacham's position? That you're completely exempt? You can't be completely exempt, you did a Malacha. So, when we say that Rebbe says you're liable, what we must mean is that Rebbe holds you're liable to two malachas for this action. The Chamus you're liable to one. How could it right? So, just to speak it out, let's read it inside. How could the possibly say you're exempt? You carry from the private domain to the public domain. how do you know? Maybe indeed you're wrong. and Maybe Rebbe said you're only liable to one. And the Chamus say you're, in, you're completely exempt. How can you be completely exempt? You're going to Omar, Add the Nafkale, the to Nuach. His intent was that before it gets into the public domain, he would put it down, right? So therefore, since that was his intent, he's going to be completely, completely exempt according to the Chacham. Ubal what's the machleikus then? The says that we look at kluta. We look at this idea of something that's in the airspace, as if it's attached to the ground. And you fulfilled your intentions. First of all, we don't look at something that's in midair as if it's actually on the ground. And you did not fulfill your intention because you didn't intend for it to land in the public domain. So, but if you have a tolda that's happening at the same time as the Av, then Rabbi Huda indeed would say you're not liable, right? So, this doesn't make sense. The Tanya, we learned in a b'aysev. Huda says that there's two other Malachas that you're liable for. Shevet and Medaktik, which are two different elements of the weaving process that he counts as separate malachas, right? We learned this a little bit earlier also. Shevet is in the category of the general category of setting up the loom. Medaktik, and Medaktik is the, in the category of weaving. Well, the reason that he holds that you're liable for both is because you did them both at the same time. And still he says you're liable for each one. Why are you liable for each one? It must be the Rebuda holds that you're liable for doing a tolda, right? The descendant malacha, the the, the 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 not the root malacha, but the descendant malacha, the branch of the malacha, at the same time that you did the ab malacha. you know this still the abdullah Maybe you did each one separately. Rabbihuda ataldahba machamav la holds that when you come to a tolda being done at the same time as the Av indeed you're not gonna be liable to two. Only reason they held you're liable to two over there is because you did them separately. if again this is their the Vihuda says that these are also included in the category of Avas. The Nu and the Kham say these are included in the category of the descendant malachas, not the Av malachas Hey thou bring your proof tiktani Vihuda I'll bring you a proof that Ri is coming to add additional of his How do we know? Because it says, Huda, mysif, he adds, he's adding to what? He's adding other other of his I am my If you say that he's adding to others, if you say that he's coming to say these are also of us, then great. He's coming to add to others. Al told us, if he's coming to say that uh, that those were already told us, then what's he coming to add? My what's he adding? manami. it was stated like this as well. Rabba Rivesiv said, both them said. For one. according to that which you thought initially that you though how that you're liable for two at the same time. Like this. What's the case exactly? You threw it and you threw it from one area from one private domain straight through the public domain into another private domain how could you say you're liable for both what was your intent when you threw it if your intent when you threw it is to land in the public domain you're not going to be liable for landing in for going from the public domain to the private domain if your intent was to go straight to the public domain then you, how could you say that you're liable for the fact that it went over the public domain that's looked at as if you did a hanacha in the public domain so you have to say like this according to Yehuda his intent was I'm throwing it I don't care where it lands since he said I'm throwing it, I don't care where it lands, then even when it's going over the public domain and when we start saying misha hun chadamia, it's as if he's fulfilled his intent of throwing. Because without that, we don't have what we always are looking for, which is melechas machshavas that you fulfilled the intent of what you intended to do when you started doing this action. If you don't fulfill your intentions, then you're not going to be liable. Let's say you intended to throw something eight and you ended up throwing a four. That's the equivalent of writing two letters from a uh, six-letter uh, yeah, six-letter name, right? If you intended to write a five-letter name, right? If you intended to write the five-letter name of Shimon and you ended up just writing Shin in Mem, you're liable because you intended to do a malacha and you did a malacha. So guess what? You intend to throw something eight amas and you threw a four amas. You intended to do a malacha and you did a malacha. Let's say you intended to throw it four and you ended up throwing eight. Do you say, well, listen, you actually ended up throwing it more than four? Where you wanted to throw it, it didn't end up landing, right? So you might then ask the obvious question. You just got finished telling me if you intended to throw it eight and you threw it four, you're liable. Well, if you intended to throw it four, eight, and you landed four, It didn't land where you wanted it to land, and yet still that was obvious reliable. Well then what about vice versa? You intended to throw it four and it went eight. It didn't land where you wanted it to land. Previous case, it also didn't land where you wanted it to land. That wasn't an issue. Um, Isn't this exactly the same case? You have to say we're talking about a case where you said anywhere it lands is good. Well, you said, one second, it's the equivalent of writing shame, the two letters, me from a, a five letter name. Me dummy, hassam kamadolakesiv shame, loy michtiv Over there, when you intend to write shimin, you are, are intending to write each letter separately, right? So, in other words, when you initially started writing, you knew you were planning on writing shin mem. Well, when you write, want to write shin mem, that's it. You, you wrote it, right? It's like, uh, it's like uh, when you're playing, uh, what's that game called? Ghost, right? You know, have you guys ever play Ghost with your kids in long car rides? Ghost is when you spell out the words, right? And it, whoever gets the last letter, everybody has to say one letter. Whoever gets the last letter is going to be out. So you have this big letter, big word in mind, but then you end up spelling out the letter. You end up spelling out a word beforehand. So you intended to write Shimon, but you wrote, over, or you wrote a whole name already. You already wrote two letters when you wrote shinmem. So that's it, right? Whereas over here, hacha kamadoli arba, lemazarki Over here, when you want to throw something eight, it's not like by definition, if you throw something eight, it has to go four, right? Whereas if you if you intended to throw something um, if you the other way around if you intended to throw something eight by definition you're you're also intended to throw it four. But if you intended to throw something uh, four, you didn't by definition intend to throw it eight. Whereas when you write shame is shimon, you intended to write shin mem That's what you intended to write, and that's what you wrote. So therefore you're gonna be liable. Okay, Tanara Bana, let's do one more Gamara. If you throw from the public domain to the public domain, and the public private domain is in between. Dalit Amos, there's private domain in between of four Amos. you're going to be liable. But if it's less than four Amos, you're going to be exempt. What's the So like this, okay? Two different points. The is like this: You want to throw from one public domain to another public domain, and it's going to be traveling more than four Amos total in public domains, right? So I'm standing in one one side of El Camino Real, and there's a assuming that's Rishus which isn't so simple. If it was, we might be in trouble in Palo Alto. And if you guys ever want to make an error, you might be in trouble too. So I want to throw from one public domain to another public domain. And there's a private domain in between. Now, the amount that it's going to travel in each public domain is going to be, let's say, uh, two amas in each public domain. Right? So I'm going to do an Akira in one public domain. I'm going to throw it through the private domain. And it's going to land in another public domain that's more than four amas of public domain throwing. I'm going to be liable for throwing something that's more than four amas. And the fact that it went through the private domain is not gonna break the space up. Why isn't it gonna break the space up, right? Because we don't say kluta kemisha If we said kluta kemisha huncha, then by throwing it into the private domain, I would break up the four amas distance, right? I wouldn't have thrown it four amas. I would have only thrown it two amas, right? Then it lands in the private domain, and then it goes on to the next public domain. I never would have thrown it four amas straight, right? So what you have to say is number one, kluta is not kemisha Huncha damya, right? And number two, The fact that it's two Amis in one space and two Amis in another Rishasarabim is actually going to be mixed out if it will combine to be considered as if you threw it four Amis total in Rishasarabim.